0: Welcome to The Real Python Podcast. This is episode 107. Are you using an object-relational mapper or ORM for your Python projects? What if it could work with SQL or NoSQL databases and be fully type-safe? This week on the show, Robert Craigie talks about Prisma Client Python. Prisma Client Python is built on top of Prisma, which was created for TypeScript and Node.js. It uses a schema file to declare your application's data models and relationships in a human readable form. The schema file allows you to easily switch the database type. Prisma Client is different from other Python ORMs. It's fully type safe and can be used with or without async. We talk about how Robert started the project and the types of hurdles he's completed. He also shares areas of improvement and how to contribute to the project. We also have a conversation with several RealPython core team members about PyCon US 2022, which is happening this upcoming week. We'll have a booth at the conference where we hope you'll come by and connect with us. The team also shares what to expect from PyCon and what they're excited about this year. This episode is brought to you by Linear B. Their free Worker B for Pull Request Chrome extension gives your team context about your PRs so that they can pick it up and review it faster. All right, let's get started. The Real Python Podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world. My name is Christopher Bailey, your host. Each week, we feature interviews with experts in the community and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hey, Robert, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, hi, Christopher.
0: You had reached out to come and talk a little bit about your project, Prisma, client for Python, and I kind of maybe want to start out with a little background. Have you worked on other open source projects before?
1: Not really. I've done quite a few like small fixes or features that I've wanted in open source projects before, but I've not worked on anything. I've not been a maintainer on anything big.
0: Yeah. Were you like just submitting pull requests and, and things like that?
1: Yeah. So the last thing I contributed to was PyRite, which is the type checker and language server that powers Python and VS Code. Yeah. So I I added them support for also completing type dict keys, because that's what Prism Client Python uses. That's how the queries are structured. Okay. That's improved the usability so much. (laughs) That's great. Yeah.
0: So I guess maybe we could start with what Prisma is itself before we kind of dive into what the Prisma client for Python is doing. How did you find Prisma and you know, what is it?
1: Yes, yeah, so I found Prisma. It's really big in the TypeScript space. I was working on just a website in Next.js and I heard about it and it's like, this looks that sounds really cool. And Prisma is it's a like database toolkit. It's designed for type safety to improve developer experience when working with databases. Yeah. It comes with lots of things like Prisma Migrate, Prisma Studio and the Prisma client for TypeScript.
0: Right. So it's like a tool that's been around in the NPM node kind of world with TypeScript. Is it one of the more popular sort of ORMs in that world?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's really popular in TypeScript. I think it's 40,000 um dependencies on GitHub. So it's really popular. Okay, cool. People love it because of the auto complete It gives you as well. That's the thing I found that's the best. It just makes it so easy to use.
0: Is that something that it being type, I don't want to say safe, but you know, um, it has some of that in it. That is what helps it become easier for a tool like an IDE to be able to identify what the types are and and kind of give the autocomplete?
1: Yeah, because if you don't have those types, the IDE can't know like what a function is expecting, like what arguments it's going to take. But when you do have those types, it can do really cool stuff, just like magic, basically, and just show you all the arguments that you, you can pass to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's considered a, an, an ORM or an object relational mapper, which for someone who's maybe coming into Python from, well, in my case, my background is I, I was working in SQL directly. That was like my main, if you will, programming language. I was using other tools to kind of write it and so forth, and kind of dealing with tables directly and, and joining. And maybe we could talk a little bit about that. We haven't really dug much into it on the show, except for to mention popular ones, that there are these things inside of Django or other popular libraries like SQL Alchemy that kind of provide that object relationship mapper that bridge the gap for not having to write directly SQL. But what are some of the other advantages of using an ORM?
1: Yeah, so I found the advantages with an ORM is definitely the relationship. Okay. So like dealing with relations in SQL, I found it to be much more difficult. ORMs help you like they help you avoid mistakes that you could be making and just makes it generally easier. So especially with a type-safe ORM, it helps you catch so many mistakes that you would be making if you were just writing raw SQL directly.
0: And those kinds of things can be maybe minor mistakes but could lead to even much bigger consequences depending on you know how you're approaching it.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, like, it's a really small mistakes. So it's stuff like if you're selecting a record, yeah, and then when you test it, that record always exists, but it's not always going to exist, and you might e- you could easily forget to write code to handle the case where that doesn't exist, and then your application would just blow up. And then if you have a safe ORM, you could sort of like forced to handle that case because your editor will get annoyed at you if you don't.
0: <laughs> That's good. Yeah, the idea of it becoming less of data returned from a query you're kind of addressing these things as objects which you know the world of python is everything is an object and so you're kind of breaking away from having to think at the table and row sort of level
1: yeah yeah that makes it way easier for me yeah okay it's just providing an easier abstraction over sql that's the main benefit i think
0: are there other types of problems that Prisma's solving for developers?
1: I think it's just mainly the, de- the developer experience. That's what they. Are, that's their main goal. They want to make it as easy as possible to use databases and make database migrations and actually query on your database.
0: Were you using uh, any other different ORMs before this in Python?
1: I actually wasn't using any other ORMs before I created Prisma Client Python because I just. I didn't enjoy using them. Like, I didn't enjoy the developer experience. And I found the learning curve to be really steep. And then if I had to, if say, I wanted to use a different database that wasn't supported, I'd then have to switch to another ORM. Oh. And then I'd learn that all over again. Or if I just wanted to switch, like if I had to use an asynchronous ORM and then switch back to a synchronous ORM, like I'd have to keep switching. That just does not create a good experience. And then you have to learn so many different things. Right. And it just, yeah.
0: Yeah, so having something that's standardized, and so I'm guessing we could kind of dive into that a little bit. So is there a more flexibility across different types of databases than with Prisma?
1: Yeah, so Prisma supports lots of different databases and also supports MongoDB as well, Okay, which I found that a lot of ORMs only support either new no SQL databases or just SQL databases. It's rare to find one that supports both.
0: So could you potentially have applications that then point at either type or would it normally you would be dealing with a single database type?
1: I think normally you'd only be dealing with a single database type, but you might be in a situation where you want to start off using MongoDB and then switch to another database later down the line if you find that you need to. And then Prism makes that really easy because you can. it's a really good abstraction over that.
0: Nice. What goes into creating the client like are there lots of hurdles in trying to get that ported over from being you know typescript specifically to having the client behave in python
1: so actually it wasn't that difficult i ran into some issues but there were nothing major and it was so the core of prisma is written in rust okay although so the way it works internally is prisma have, have generated graphql API. And that's how queries are sent to their Prisma query engine. It was actually quite easy to support it.
0: Okay, good.
1: They've made it quite easy.
0: One of the statements that's there is the, the idea of a zero cost uh, type safety for your database. And what does that mean?
1: Yeah, so that means having the type safety that Prisma provides comes at like no extra cost for you as a developer to add. So if you like, you, there's nothing you have to do to change in your editor or something to get, the type safety that the Prism provides.
0: Nice. I was going through some of the tutorial and working up the database and so forth, and you create sort of a schema initially you know, that you need to kind of send to kind of set everything up. And I found it kind of interesting, like what language is that in? Because it's not quite Python, <laughs> and it's got kind of an interesting sort of layout to it, the, the schema.
1: Yeah, so they've called it the Prism schema language. Okay. Yeah. I think there's some pretty good advantages to having a different uh, language just for writing the schema because then you can share the same schema between, say, you wanted a TypeScript project and you wanted a Python project. You could share the same schema between both of them. So you wouldn't have to rewrite your schema all in the Python models, for example.
0: Yeah. Okay. If a project is migrating across languages or potentially you want to practice setting things up, at least the schema files are going to transfer across.
1: Yeah. All you have to do is add a generator, which is a Prisma-specific. So what you can do is a generator means you can do whatever you want with that schema. Okay. So you could write your own generators if you want. You can write them in Python. And so Prisma will send you the like the AST of your Prisma schema file whenever you run Prisma generate. And I found that to be really useful.
0: So that's the abstract syntax tree? Yeah. Okay.
1: So that's how... That's how Prisma Client Python works, really.
0: Okay. One of the main goals of the client is to get this thing that is called a generator, not a Python you know, specific you know, from the Python language generator, but a Prisma generator. Oh, yeah, yeah. And what does that do exactly?
1: So what that means is that when you run, say you run Prisma generator, you run Prisma DB push, which, which migrates your database to match your Prisma schema it will also run generators that you've defined in the schema file. So in the TypeScript world, that's exactly the same. It works as the same. So TypeScript client is just a Prisma generator. Okay. And that's the same with the Python client because that auto-generates the client because it needs to be auto-generated to provide that type safety because there needs to be a translation there between the schema file and the Python code.
0: Okay. What were some of the things that, were challenges in trying to get this running on on python for you
1: so one of the challenges is that like the way that our like uh, prism generator works internally isn't documented at all so i had to go trying to like reverse engineer all of it and then actually because the way they've structured it internally is that it's all very specific to their TypeScript client so there's lots of just redundant stuff and yeah, the main difficulty was the communication between the way it works is that it uses JSON RPC. So Prisma Generate will run generators, and what that does is that starts a new process and then sends the Prisma AST over like the standard in standard input of that process. Okay. And that was I'd run into issues with that.
0: When you decide to tackle that task of reverse engineering. Where do you start in that sort of hunt <laughs> to to, yeah. to go in if there isn't documentation?
1: Yes, that was difficult. So I was just running lots of different like scripts and stuff. But they also they had a Go client. Okay. But they've deprecated that. So a lot of the reverse engineering was also just looking through that and trying to understand how that worked. Okay. And that helped a lot.
0: All right, so you're like going on GitHub and sort of just looking at the code and yeah or did you like set up go and and try to try to run it and see how it behaved
1: yeah so i did some of both but like that was really difficult because i've never used go before so it's a completely different world
0: (laughs) yeah i wonder about that like would it have helped or does it help if you know rust to to do something like this then if it's kind of written inside of that
1: oh yeah definitely the way it works currently though is that instead of Instead of communicating, so Python has like built-in C extensions.: Yeah, so you can use that to communicate directly. You can like directly call a rust function from Python, but that's not how it works right now. right now. Prisma have pre-built binaries, and then you download them and then run them as a separate process. Okay, and that's how that works. So you, you don't need any Ru- to know any rust to write your own Python, write your own Prisma client. Okay, good. It would definitely help.
0: <laughs> it would help in ways that you would sort of understand mm-hmm. some of the structures and and being able to look at the the code from that side of the yeah the fence, if you will, of the, of what's yeah. being created.
1: Yeah, because I had to look through that as well for some like obscure error messages, and I'd try and figure all that out as well.
0: Yeah, I could imagine so
1: <laughs> that would definitely help. Yeah,
0: one of the things that I was wondering about, you know, we kind of talked about the type safety. We kind of alluded to it earlier that it is really gonna help the developer in the end. Can you think of you know some of the like explicit sort of dangers that that someone can run into of not having a a type safe ORM?
1: So one of the dangers is like like I mentioned earlier, that it's very easy to like let very small mistakes slip through. Okay. That'll just result in errors that like disable your application. I think it's not more to do with dangers, it's more to do with the developer experience as well because especially if you have a new person coming onto your team or your project and you're working on database yeah if you have type hints everywhere it's so much easier to understand how everything fits together and what you can do because if you don't have those types you have to figure out oh what does this function take what are the types of arguments and so when you don't have type hints you have to keep everything in your head Mm. when you add them they're in the directly in the code. So it just makes it, it transfers the the burden of keeping those in your head onto the actual code and then you just let the type checker do its work.
0: Yeah, I guess in some ways uh, you also can leverage the help of the IDE, as you mentioned, by it having it give you suggestions and, and things like that and sort of nudging you in the direction of not potentially making some mistakes. Yeah. Did you know that the average pull request sits idle for four days without review? Linear B is here to help get your code merged faster with their free Worker B for Pull Requests Chrome extension. It gives your team context about your PRs and estimated time to review so that they can pick it up and review it sooner, letting you merge faster. Get Worker B free at linearb.io slash realpython. That's L-I-N-E-A-R-B dot I-O slash realpython. The project is, I guess, what's 0.6.4. How long have you been working on it?
1: So I've been working on it for about a year and a half now. Okay. I only made it public about a year ago. Yeah. But it's been going really strong. I haven't, haven't had any massive bug reports or anything that's just completely broken.
0: Yeah. You have a few interesting sections on the the page there where you're saying, "Okay, these are areas that I consider room for improvement, which I, I thought was interesting. I don't usually see that in documentation, and I, I thought that was great. Why did you choose to share a section in your docs like that?: Yes,
1: yeah, so I wanted to share a section like that because i I want to be open about any shortcomings that you might encounter with the project, and because people are like rightfully so wary about adopting a new library. Yeah. Especially when it's something so core to how that their like application will work, like an ORM. Yeah. So,
0: so it can be like such a central piece of it. You make all these choices in starting up a, a new sort of application and one is choosing the database and the other would be, in this case, choosing the ORM. And so, yeah, I could kind of see how that you you <laughs> want people to kind of come into the with their eyes open as to what's to be expected.
1: Yeah, definitely. I don't want people to come in and start using it and then find something that they need to be able to use and then it just doesn't have it yet. Okay. And then be surprised by that. Yeah. So.
0: What are areas that you are looking to improve?
1: So the first thing I think would be performance because right now I've I haven't really looked into like I haven't done any performance benchmarks or anything like that because my main focus has been getting everything to work and to work well. Yeah. And then working on the performance side of things as well.
0: Okay. If someone was going to contribute to the project, would there be specific types of background that they would need? Or what are ways that someone can help contribute?
1: Well, there's no like prerequisites, to say. You, just, you should have Python experience. You don't need any TypeScript or anything, or Rust or anything. Okay. Because the way this command line works, that's all just handed off to Prisma. Um, we download the CLI. The CLI is written in TypeScript as well, but it's packaged into a binary. We don't deal with any TypeScript or Rust in the project at the moment, so it's literally all Python. If you want to work on the client, you should know, or you could, it would help be helpful if you had experience with Ginger, which is the templating yeah. engine that it uses. But apart from that, there's nothing really.
0: Okay. What would be the areas you'd be looking for contributions?
1: Anything really. It's... Um, obviously, some parts will be much more difficult than others. I've labeled all the issues at different levels. So some of them are way easier than others. And if you were, we were looking to contribute, then you could filter all the issues by level slash beginner. And that will show things that are smaller or easier to complete. And I've documented some of my like the workflows that I use when I'm adding new features or trying to fix a bug. That would be helpful for anyone.
0: In this particular case, you're using MKDocs. I notice. Is that a preferred documentation format that you like to use?
1: Yeah, I really like it. It makes the um, it's like beautiful documentation. Yeah, and it's really easy to use and write, and it's just plain Markdown, and it's it's easy.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to have a upcoming tutorial on it on the on Real Python. I'm kind of excited to mess with it because I do like the the site is very nice <laughs> the way the documentation looks.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I really like it. I'm going to use it for everything. Anything is documentation, I'm going to use that.
0: One of the things that you talked about is that you could use all these different types of databases. I guess to kind of go back a little bit and think generally, where are the places that something like Prisma is going to be useful? I know anytime you talk to, to a database, this might be useful, but are there specific areas where something like this would excel?
1: Well, I think Prisma can be used basically anywhere. Okay. Especially because there's also the Prisma data proxy, which that handles all your database connections for you. So that's really useful in like serverless environments where you'd be like you'd be restarting okay like lambdas a lot, and we're having to manage the database connections inside the code. That will just lead to like overloading the database because it will keep adding new, more and more connections. So that's one place that it's particularly useful.
0: Let's unpack that for a second because I'm you're, but in the case of something like a lambda, the database connection is going to be not consistent, isn't the right word, but it's not always going to be present. And so it, it's going to need to be able to yeah. reestablish or keep the connection going. Or how does that work?
1: Yes. Yeah, so the difficulties is that there's also the, it's the cold start times and you'd have to, with if you have many different lambdas, you can't share the the same database connection between them. Okay. So you can't have a connection pool that you just take from. And that leads to inefficient queries, obviously, because you have to then reconnect to the database every single time. Yeah. And new request comes in.
0: Yeah, That I mean, that was kind of a way that I was doing some data science work was that you would just do a connection for the one call <laughs> and pull all the data in. Yeah. But in the case of other applications it would need to be more consistent or have more back and forth between the database and the application that's calling that information that's interesting like is that would it being in this case it is uh, async right the connection that you're setting up
1: Yeah. so you can actually it's both async and synchronous you can choose whichever one you want depending on your uh, use case
0: okay and that helps somewhat with that, that ability to keep the connection sort of alive.
1: I'd say that's most useful for like, just compatibility with other frameworks. It's like if you want to use Flask, then you kind of need a synchronous ORM. But if you want to use something like Sanic, then you need an async ORM because that's an async web framework.
0: Okay, so it could work across either type.
1: Yeah. I guess something thing I'd really say is that you shouldn't use Prisma if you, if you need low level access to the actual database connection like you would if you're using async pg for example which lets you set lots of different like connection parameters and Hmm. so like configuration options because all the connections are handled by prisma in rust that's not exposed to you and you have no control over the actual database connections okay so if you need to use them that's when you shouldn't use prisma and if you're highly performance sensitive then you shouldn't really use prisma either But I'd also say you shouldn't really be using an ORM if you're that worried about performance because it can be slow sometimes.
0: The abstraction adds a layer of performance hit. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Are there other projects that you're working on currently?
1: The other project I've worked on is Python Wrapper for PyRite. Yeah. Because PyRite is written in TypeScript. So if you wanted to install it and run it locally, you'd have to install node and then and install that through npm. So I've written a like, wrapper over that, which will install node for you if you, if you don't have it, and then install and on PyRite. Okay. And that's been pretty popular.
0: Nice. I'll, I'll definitely share links to that project too. Well, I have these weekly questions I'd like to ask everybody. And uh, the first one is, what's something that you're excited about in the world of Python right now? Could be an event, a book, project the thing i'm most
1: excited with which is pretty on brand is the is typing in python okay because lots of people don't actually use it yet so i saw statistics from Pylance, which is the python extension for vs code and only about one percent of their users actually turn on any form of type checking oh. which is way lower than i thought it would be I'm, w- I'm really excited for more people to start using it and learn about it and make better python applications
0: I, I'm with you on that. It's been an ongoing kind of uh, back and forth with a handful of other developers that are you know, friends of mine and my sort of co-host, uh, Christopher Trudeau. He's not a big fan of type checking, but I can really see the advantages of it. And again, kind of coming from the database world and some of these other kinds of languages and, and thinking about it, I can really see the benefits. And then, you know, I had a really good conversation with Luciano Hamayo about it. We were talking about kind of like how prototypes were his real key to getting into like why he thinks types can be real advantageous to python development and <laughs> then I talked to Brett Cannon about you know as a core developer just this sort of deluge of peps that are all about ways that they're figuring out how to add types and kind of get all this stuff worked out there's definitely a push and pull within the community but that's interesting. It'd be a number to kind of keep an eye on, I guess, uh, as a percentage. I think it's going to climb more than that.
1: Yeah, I'd hope so. I can understand why people are against it because you know, Python is a dynamically typed language. Yeah. And there's so much stuff you can not you can do that you just can't represent with type hints. So I can understand why people are, are against it. But I think just the usability that you get from your editor is is way worth it for
0: me. Yeah it sounds like from things that guido has said and other people have said that it will remain a dynamic language but as it needs to interoperate and communicate with other languages and other packages and the <laughs> wider programming world it, it makes sense to, to to at least make it available and, and usable and and like you said you know if your code needs to interoperate or if you want the advantages of all those kinds of, you know, not only type safety, but just, you know, the things that an IDE can kind of provide for you and helping, you know, not only yourself, but like a team of people out. I can really see it being advantageous.
1: Yeah. I know the um, Python core team, they like they reject PEPs that are that would require lots of changes to like the syntax and stuff just for typing. I know they're against that, which is a bit annoying, but I can understand where they're coming from. And, yeah, I wouldn't want Python to not be a dynamic language. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what's something that you're interested in learning next? Again, it doesn't have to be something Python-specific.
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm interested in learning Rust because I haven't, I haven't worked on really low-level stuff at all, really, and that is really interesting to me. Okay. Also, the, just the memory safety aspect because I've done, I've done a little bit of c and I did not really enjoy that. That was really confusing.
0: <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you. It's like, oh, you want to get into memory management, and you could dive into C. But it sounds like Rust would be a, a much nicer abstraction from that.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I've done a little bit of Rust, but I haven't worked very deeply in it.
0: Are there particular resources that you found that are that you're thinking of employing to, to learn it?
1: Well, I'm um, starting off by writing the, the interactions with the Prisma engine in okay. Rust bindings instead. Yeah. Instead of calling out to a binary. Yeah, that's why I'm yeah, that's what I'm gonna do first.
0: Are there particular books or guides that you found that have been useful?
1: I haven't really looked at any guides or anything. I've just been going through the um PyO3 docs, which is the that builds the C extension for Python from Rust.
0: Okay. Do you have any particular uh, calls to action that you wanna share for People checking out the project?
1: Well, we have a community Discord that's been getting some new members recently. and Okay. I just check out the GitHub. I don't really post on Twitter or anything, so...
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, that is the...
0: So that would be the best way if people are interested in the project or are reaching out to you would be through GitHub or the the Discord channel?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, both of those are really good. Okay. I'm active on them, so...
0: Nice. All right, well, Robert, I really want to thank you for coming on the show and and sharing the project with me, and I hope we can get some other people to help contribute to the project.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for having me.
0: I want to thank Robert Craigie for coming on the show this week. And now that conversation with several RealPython team members about PyCon US 2022. So I have a group of people from RealPython, all of who have been on the show before, And I want to go ahead and just introduce them all one by one. Dan Bader is back on the show. Hey, how's it going? Good to be back. And then my first guest, first interviewee, was uh, Gerana Yella. Hi, good to see you again. Yeah. And then another frequent guest has been Martin Broyce. And it's good to hear your voice again. Hi. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me again. We're here to talk about this next week's big event, which is PyCon 2022. I'm very excited. This will be my first time going to PyCon. I, I know it is Martin's also. And so we're kind of newbies here. But I wanted to bring Dan on first to talk about what RealPython's sort of plans are. And uh, a large group of us are, are coming to the convention, so we're excited to see, well, listeners there and other people from the RealPython community. What's some of the stuff that we're doing at PyCon this year, Dan.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, this is a huge milestone for for real Pythons. The first time where we have our own booth space. I've uh, attended a couple of PyCons in my life and also a couple of ones in the US. I think this is my, it's going to be my fourth one, I think. In person, one it, um, yeah, super excited about it. And so, like I said, the, the cool thing is that we actually have some booth space for Real Python for the company and f- to to showcase our products and teaching materials, learning materials, and also to to meet people, uh, which we we never had that before. And so the booth is kind of the the big new thing. So if you're attending PyCon, you know, dear listener, definitely stop by, find us on the <laughs> uh, in the exhibit hall, and and say hi. We'll we'll have a selection of our books there. We have uh, many. members Members of our team there, I'll be there, and it'll it'll just be a nice space to you know hang out and chat about Python and about real Python, of course, as well. And we're all super excited to to meet you.
0: Yeah, definitely. In 2019, you had done kind of like a meetup space. Now having kind of a, a nice meeting space, having a booth, that's going to be fun. Yeah, please come and talk to us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think, uh, Chris, you also had some plans for potentially recording uh, a couple of podcast episodes there. So uh, who knows, you know, maybe we can do some semi-live uh, broadcasting from from the booth space as well, uh, which would be super fun.
0: Yeah, if people are interested and want to pitch me on an idea, that's that's a possibility. I'm bringing equipment and we'll see how that turns out.
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm yes.
0: excited to see what happens with it.
2: It's so exciting too, too, because uh, it's it's. I mean, in-person conferences are back now, which I don't know how I feel about that. It feels very unusual all of a sudden, you know, after uh, two two years of COVID life. Yeah, but I think it's going to be good. And uh, you also hinted at the the open spaces. So open spaces are a PyCon thing, where the PyCon conference makes basically meeting rooms available um, that anyone can book. So there's usually how it works. There's a big sort of timetable that anyone can just write a topic and on a cart and then pin it to a wall and then you kind of reserve that time slot and you can talk about, you know, anything you want. Uh, usually Python related. <laughs> and we did that. Uh, we hosted a couple of those and uh, I helped host a couple of those at previous PyCon. So we had one uh, like a Pythonista Cafe uh, meet and greet. Maybe that's something we'll bring back. Uh, we had uh, a real Python uh, authors chat and, and meet and greet that we did at the, the last one, uh, the last in-person conference. And so we also want to host something like that. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but uh, probably some some kind of like, hey, you know, let's get together uh, if you know real Python and, and we'll chat about some stuff and uh, that gives gives us a chance to to uh, meet uh, readers and learners and and listeners for of the podcast and yeah we'll just you know hang out for a bit and, and get to know each other and I think that's gonna be super fun as well and it's a bit more of a probably like smaller setting than than the exhibit hall uh, because depending on how busy it gets uh, and our booth is not very large you know I'll say that too you know I don't know what people are gonna expect but uh, <laughs> we're a pretty small company so it's not gonna be a massive booth but all right we'll definitely also host the, the open space.
3: How was the, how was the open space the last time then?
2: It, it was, uh, I'll be honest, like it was really overwhelming uh, because we had, forgot the exact numbers, but I think it was like more than 50 people um, showed up. And so we're like, okay, how do we do this? And we made this like giant, you know, circle of chairs uh, to, to kind of do some intros and basically did like, 30 minutes just of intros uh, and and, <laughs> and some some chatting and whatnot but uh, it was kind of mind-blowing at the time you know that there were so many People who went to PyCon also knew about RealPython and um, thought it was cool enough to, to go to an open space like that. And I know kind of, kind of heartwarming. We have a couple of photos on the website. Maybe one of them is also in uh, your article, Gerana, in the, the PyCon uh, guide article. Yeah, like every time I see that photo, I, I sort of smile. And it's like, hey, this is the coolest thing. You know,
3: so many people showed up. And it's just, yeah, it's just, uh, just nice. I'm really looking forward to potentially meeting some, you know, people who, who read our articles and watch our videos and just get to interact with some people there. Well, that's something that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, I, I
0: <laughs> have virtually met, I don't know how many people, you know, potentially over, I don't know, 60, 70 people uh, for the show. And, never. you know, I hardly even did video with them. Mostly it's been audio only. And so it'll be really interesting to, to, to meet them. I think people may recognize me more from my voice (laughs) and my laugh. (laughs) So that'll be interesting. Yeah. To talk about, there's an article that was put out for the 2019 PyCon and it was by James Mertz. And you've been updating that, Girana, And maybe we can talk a little bit about what's in that. And it should be out the time this podcast comes out. It's kind of a, a bit of a guide in some ways.
4: Uh, yes. So James uh, Mertz, as you said, wrote a fantastic guide uh, three years ago for the Cleveland conferences. And it's it's not really t- so much about the Cleveland conference. It's more just about what is PyCon in general and uh, what can you do when you're at PyCon? What, how should you prepare for it? And those kind of things. Cool. So it kind of talks a little bit about the tutorials, uh, the conference itself, the sprints afterwards, but also things happening sort of like uh, around the conference. So in the evenings there are dinners there are lightning talks in the during lunch you can look up find find new friends uh, i guess that's one of his um, mm-hmm. advice is to make a new friend every day and uh, then there's also the, the the opportunities for volunteering and how that's something that is really helpful to the conference but also uh, very giving to yourself so to speak to kind of meet meet new people that kind of have an interest and, and give back a little bit to the community so it, it's a really nice article that we put out then three years ago and we just went through it, updated it, make sure everything that's in there still makes sense. Updated the links to to this year's conference in Salt Lake City. It's hopefully a, a valuable resource to anyone going to PyCon.
0: Yeah, thanks for, for updating it. I, I'm excited to kind of go through it now that I, I see it. It's just about out. <laughs> and so I can kind of look behind the schedule and say, Oh, right, let's see what's going on here. And speaking of those separate kinds of things that can happen there the first couple days kind of before the opening there are uh, tutorials and you were involved in teaching some of those over the last couple of years mostly virtually have you
4: done one in person Uh, no so i i guess in 2019 i went to a few tutorials really nice uh, tutorials Uh, and then i was uh, yeah presenting or teaching a tutorial both in 2020 and 2020 21 when they were virtual so i i haven't been able to actually see people in person when i was teaching this (laughs) so this year i'll I'll be going to see some tutorials again i'm not teaching this year i'm really excited about uh, again all the uh, fun stuff that's happening there these you need to sign up for them and they cost a little bit of money and i think most of them are filled up now but they're still possibly a few that are there's still some open seats so i I definitely recommend that people go to the tutorials as well they kind of more relaxed and more of a learn new stuff feeling than the the faster talks during the main conference
3: i I gotta admit something now because chris i told you that i haven't been to pycon but i've actually been to a, a pycon before and i joined some of the tutorials there yeah oh okay Great! I haven't been to the big US PyCon, but in 2019 I was at the New Zealand PyCon. Oh, cool! Which is a pretty small one, and it was the tenth PyCon in New Zealand, so it was PyCon X. And yeah, I tried a couple of tutorials there and, and had a bit of the PyCon experience just on a smaller scale, but it was really nice. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed my time there, and I enjoyed going to some of the tutorials. So yeah, just echoing what Kiran says there.
0: Yeah, the the only conference that I went to was in 2019. Also, that was you know, Python related, which was Py Colorado, And it hasn't kind of been revived in a virtual form or anything yet. It was its first inaugural, you know, version of it. Uh, and I've attended PyCon virtually. Um, so this will be my first in-person right. one since 2019. I guess probably for a lot of people, that may be the case. <laughs> so <laughs> the tutorials are definitely something I'm interested in. I am I haven't gone ahead and signed up for one this particular time, but it is something that, I f- I find that format, like you said, to be a, a little more, you know, like almost three three and a half hours or something like that. So it's a little more hmm. time than a lot of these talks, which are you know well under an hour. And so it's a, a chance to really dive into a subject and, and get across all these ideas. And so yeah, that those are fun. And then that's on the twenty seventh and the twenty eighth, and then the opening reception is the night of the twenty eighth. This week, I want to shine a spotlight on another RealPython video course. It's about a very popular framework for quickly making APIs in Python. The video course is titled Python REST APIs with Fast API. It's based on a tutorial written by the creator of the library, Sebastian Ramirez. And in the course, Douglas Starns takes you through how to use API best practices, including validation, serialization, and documentation how to use path parameters to get unique URL paths per item, how to receive JSON data in your request using Pydantic, and to test your APIs as you develop it with Swagger and HTTP IE, how to use all the REST HTTP commands of get, post, put, and delete to behave as typical CRUD database commands. And the course leaves you on a path to continue learning about FastAPI for your use cases. If you want to get up and running quickly with a REST API in Python, Fast API is a great choice. Like most of the video courses on RealPython, the course is broken into easily consumable sections. You get code examples for the techniques shown, and all courses have a transcript including closed captions. Check out the video course. You can find a link in the show notes, or you can find it using the search tool on realpython.com. Then Friday is when it starts to get into the talks, and I just wanna mention a couple real quick. Um, These are from previous guests. Anthony Shaw has a a talk, Write Faster Python, Common Performance Anti-Patterns. I just talked to Pablo Galindo Salgado about the error messages, and his talk is making Python better one error message at a time. Sam Scott, who's on the show, is talking about why authorization is hard. Dustin Ingram is talking about securing the open source software supply chain, we talked about a lot on our show. And then Calvin Hendricks Parker was recently on the show, and we actually talked about this quite a bit about bootstrapping your local Python environment. And then a few of that are not guests, but people that I'm interested in. There's a, the creator of Arcade has an interesting one, Paul Vincent Craven, about harvesting the power of GPU for awesome special effects, which I think will be fun. People know I'm into graphics
3: and sound and stuff. So
0: are there ones that you guys are intrigued in checking out?
3: Martin, do you have any in particular? So I I don't actually have any uh, ones that I want to go to for sure at this point. <laughs> like my main thing at PyCon is probably going to be just being at, uh, at the booth space and and getting to know, you know, people that come by. Yeah, and then also getting to know the people from the team because I actually haven't met anyone in person yet, so that's pretty exciting for me as well. Yeah. So that's gonna be my main thing, and then I think I'm gonna uh, kind of like schedule some talks around that and just see see what what's up there, I think, but there's a couple of names of p- people that I've met uh, or kind of met over the over my time as a programmer so if if there's a familiar name in one of the tutorials, i'm probably going to see if i can if I can go there and say hi and and see what they're talking about. This is kind of my idea, but i'm I'm more planning to do it as a less attending talks than more just being at the at the space you sound like.
0: Me as far as how I plan vacations, <laughs> um I know all this stuff is happening, and I know all these things are there, and I'm gonna go enjoy them as I go, and <laughs> and I'm not gonna make a big deal out of any of it, you know. And so, um, mm-hmm. I, I live with someone who's a, an entire planner <laughs> on the other side, and everything's scheduled down to the minute. So I guess my my response was sort of a, a hybrid of that, but I think the hallway track is a is a great <laughs> option, and now we actually have a dedicated space to to do a lot of that stuff and. Cool. Are there ones that you're interested in checking out, Dan?
2: So my sort of dirty conference secret is that I I don't really go to the talks as much, especially when they're available online. And that's, I don't know, maybe that's kind of a controversial thing, because obviously if nobody goes to the talks, you know, then why why do you even have the conference and stuff? So, you know, definitely folks go attend uh, the talks that you're interested in. I'm also planning on, you know, seeing a couple kind of weaving that in with, with my day there. But these days, usually for me, it's like almost more of a marketing thing the the gospel of real Python yeah and so that's that's definitely my focus you know like the booth is not is not very cheap and we only have like some time there and I want to tell people about uh, the various like sponsorships sponsorship offerings that we have and our real Python for team training product that we launched a year ago and just kind of yeah for me it's 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 very much like these days has like a business uh, appeal to it as well or like that's that's like the main focus for me for for the conference for sure. On the other hand, it's it's such a cool experience to go and see a talk live. You know, I remember my my first PyCon, I think one of the first talks uh, I I saw was the talk on uh, I think it's called Beyond PEP 8 by Raymond Hedinger. That was just a standout talk that I that I really enjoyed and kind of Raymond is was one of my, you know, Twitter idols and I've been following for a, him for a long time. And it's just super cool to to go and like see someone like him, you know. Yeah like perform that talk life and, and, and kind of be able to, to follow along and and stuff. And so I think that's just a really cool uh, experience you can have at any sort of conference or technical conference. And then the other just great thing is, is is the hallway track, right? Like you, you're you walking around and you're maybe grabbing a coffee somewhere and then, oh, there's Guido, you know, oh, there's uh, Carol Willing. Oh, there's Mariata, Oh, there's Pablo, right? Like, and you just see people that if you recognize them, you know, maybe you've seen them before, Uh, otherwise it's kind of hard if you just interact with people through a handle and and whatnot, like we all do these days. Yeah. It's just kind of like this cool sort of nerdy stomach tingle of like oh wow you know like these people had such a big influence on my life through Python and and now I can actually like just chat with them or or, um, you know just maybe like even even just see them in in, as a real person and that to me is is like the the best thing uh, about a conference like uh, like PyCon that you can you know actually put like a face to a name or actually like interact with someone that that you've only ever met online and so that's that's what I'm really excited about and then for the talks you know I'll Maybe I'll, I'll download some uh, when they're available uh, on, uh, usually they get posted to YouTube so I can like uh, offline stream stream them and, and rewatch them. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise the focus I think is going to be just meeting lots of people.
0: Yeah, as many as possible. <laughs> so what's been your experience with doing talks and, and checking them out at the conferences, Garona?
4: Yes, I, I do enjoy going to talks and I hope to hit a few this this time as well kind of try to mix in a little bit both say people i'm interested in 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 watching and listening to and meeting and just topics that sound really really fun so i think last time i ended up uh, attending i guess well attending online one about knitting just because i was interested in how do they use this in the knitting community i i don't do any knitting myself but my, my my sister and nieces do so so that kind of uh, one thing this time, I, I see there are several n- people, not on the core team, but people who have written articles for us that have interacted with through the review process uh, that are giving talks. Yeah. So Mashi Sadka, jan Jan-Hein Burman, and yeah, you mentioned Anthony Shaw already, at least. So it will be fun to at least meet them and hopefully go to their talks. And then there's some talks more about the interesting topics. Like I'm, I'm really interested in the whole structural pattern matching thing that was... Yeah came up in 3.10 and Bernd Bach Bucher, is that his name, and who was kind of the, the main person implementing it, is giving a talk about it. Uh, I know in one of the keynotes, uh, Sarah isson uh, is giving a talk about uh, finding black holes with, uh, with Python. I actually managed to see a talk by her probably in the last in-person conference I was at back in 2019 as well. And it was re- really, really nice. Um, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to be able to go to see some of those talks. Yeah, you mentioned also giving a talk. So in 2019, I was able to give a small presentation about essentially how to modularize your code, and it was a really nice experience to 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 give a presentation at PyCon, in the sense that it was, of course, it's much bigger than anything else, and it also had you have uh, people that are kind of walking you to to your uh, to to the talk, making sure you get there on time, and they're kind of you get your own silent room where you can sit and prepare and, and those kind of things. So <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah. And this year, I'm also I'm also signed up to be a volunteer for a couple of these sessions just to be one of these runners to just help people out and, and things like this. So hopefully it should be fun.
3: How, how do you do that? How do you sign up as a volunteer?
4: Yeah. So on the PyCon uh, webpage, there's a, a separate tab saying volunteers. So you just kind of click into the volunteers and then... Uh, that there's tons of uh, things they they want some help with, and a lot of them sound a lot of fun, and, and especially great places to meet people, uh, including everything from just stuffing swag into bags to to being a part of the registration part and welcoming people. And um, somehow la- last year in 2019, I was welcomed by I oh, his name is escaping me right now, E E something. It was kind of the 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 boss of the whole conference. And he, he was kind of volunteering, sitting, sitting in and doing my registration. So it's kind of nice mm-hmm. to see how even at this uh, big, big level, uh, people are all coming together and helping each other out.
0: Yeah. And then not to forget, there's also some stuff after the main conference talks. The PyCon usually includes an ex- a section for doing sprints. And I think that both Garana and Martin, you both were thinking about attending that. Yeah, and Garana, you've you've done sprints a, a couple times, I think.
4: Yes, so I guess my my the main conference I typically used to go to, uh, at least is called EuroSciPy since I'm in Europe, it's easier to kind of get around there. Yeah, the journey's um, easier.
0: <laughs> uh, the journey is much
4: easier, uh, and it's it's a really nice small smaller conference around scientific Python in in Europe. When we have 100 200 people, and they've always had one to two days of. Uh, yeah usually one day of sprints i guess so so i usually stayed for the sprints there and it's a really nice opportunity to just meet people working on a project it's not always that i kind of get to do what i feel are say meaningful uh, contributions to the project but at least i get to know the project a little bit better and uh, typically i'll manage to put my name into some kind of commit there so you you can kind of brag that i've i've I have committed uh, something into it, uh, even though it's just a it's, it's just a small thing. But it it feels nice to just be able to see a little bit how are these projects run from the inside and and get to know the people r- running the project. So I definitely recommend it. Yeah,
3: I joined the sprints uh, last year during the online PyCon, so there there were some sprints organized as well. I, I don't. Entirely remember what it was, but it was something like uh, how Garen just described it. I think there was, you know, a favicon or something like that. They were asking for a favicon for uh, some Python-related site. Maybe it was Learn Python, Learn like a PSF, learning Python site or something like that. That needed are they called favicons? These tiny things that are on top that you see in your in your tabs. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think I decide one for that and then committed it to, into the repo or something <laughs> oh
4: nice <laughs> cool yeah i think one of the most common say ways to contribute during sprints is to help out with some kind of documentation or those kind of things because th- those are easier to get into than kind of getting a hold of the whole code base and figuring out how you can actually contribute code uh, it's of course cool if you're able to do that as well but really if, if you just have some time to hang out you can always if so, help out with uh, cleaning up some of the docs, which is super helpful for for everyone involved, right? And
0: um, yeah, and meet meet people that are doing the project. Mm. You know, kind of learn a little bit more about the contribution process and that there are actual people behind those repos and you mm. know yeah. stuff like that. I think is uh, is really kind of cool. And so I haven't planned to extend my stay to do that, but I'm really kind of leaning in that direction and thinking about it. So we'll see if I can
3: uh, accomplish that. You don't have a flight back, so...
0: I don't. I'm driving, which is uh, kind of fun. I'm coming from Colorado, so it's not too, too far for me, but I am taking the only vehicle that we have. So I'm sort of loading <laughs> up the freezer for my wife and then splitting <laughs> town with, my co- with the car. So that is a, a little different, um, but we'll see. It's very international. Our, our particular group of people coming, Ian's coming, He's currently Barcelona. Barcelona. Right? Barcelona okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Martin, you're coming from from Austria, yeah. yeah. And Dan's in Vancouver. <laughs> mm-hmm. The home office. <laughs> and Gerana, you're coming from Norway. Yep. And yeah, awesome. So yeah, it's gonna be a real interesting group. And um Bartosz is coming from Poland.
5: Hmm.
0: Yeah. So lots of, of our core team, you know, are very international also. So it's gonna be fun to kinda like you said, it'll be our first time really meeting everybody.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we've, ne- we've never met in person except uh, Kearn and I. We, uh, we hung out at uh, the last in-person PyCon, but uh, it's going to be super awesome to, yeah, to, to meet all of you for the first time in, in person uh, outside of Zoom and Skype and, and whatnot. It's going to be so great.
0: Yeah. totally. Are there any other last things you guys want to mention? Dan, you want to go first?
2: Uh, lightning talks are cool. I know. I always enjoyed the the lightning talks. So how the lightning talks work? Uh, I think people sign up at the at the conference directly, and it's basically a talk slot in the in the schedule where people can give these. They're capped at some. I think it's five minutes, or maybe even less than that. And so it's basically these like micro talks, just a couple of slides, and and for people to showcase their project or something they learned. And uh, I always thought that those were super fun and uh, have a lot of i don't know, just a lot of great energy usually and uh yeah definitely definitely planning to to check those out yeah stop by the booth you know if you're at pycon stop by the booth if you're participating uh virtually uh, i'm sure there's going to be some online virtual conference this year as well uh if you if you cannot make it to salt lake city then um there's probably also some real python folks going to be there so you know say hi as well yeah and yeah, super. Looking forward to the conference,
0: uh, Garana Any last thoughts?
4: Uh, yes, I guess I yeah, just really look forward to meeting people after being <laughs> uh, stuck at home for a couple of years. Yeah, and uh, both yeah, my colleagues who I just see through uh, through Zoom, but in particular the community and actually some people I mainly just interact with through Slack messages, probably. Uh, so really looking forward to to meeting people who are, are using Real Python in any way and. Uh, hearing about your experiences and how we can uh, improve and what we should continue doing there.
3: Yeah. And Martin? Uh, totally what Gear Arnes said. I completely agree with that. And also I kind of, one experience that I've made or something that is maybe nice to keep in mind is that, you know, there's a lot of people there and you've got a lot of chance to meet a lot of people. <laughs> uh, and I think it's good if you, if you're open to this kind of interactions, it's good to, to take the time and you can just, Stop by a group of people that are chatting and just you know just kind of like stand next there and usually people are gonna open up the circle and you're gonna be included in the conversation. Yeah,
0: I heard it called a Pac-Man uh, thing. Mm. They always leave yeah. a little bit open. In yeah, that circle. yeah, yeah.
3: That's yeah. nice. Yeah, and then you can also leave again if you if you're like this doesn't really interest me that much. You can always be like, hey, nice meeting you, and just walk on and look for something else. So don't be shy. Just try it out. And like everyone's really welcoming and friendly. At least the the one meetup in new zealand that i was uh, i assume it's going to be different in terms of how people behave and what i've heard from pycon us as well so yeah make it your conference and and do what, what you enjoy most when you when you get there
0: yeah i'm excited to meet listeners of the show and if you have ideas and you want to pitch them to me feel free to come up to the booth and talk to me or you know somebody can get that information to me if i'm not there at that moment and yeah i'm excited to to meet all you guys in person. And yeah, this is going to be fun. Thanks for coming on the show and sharing all that with me. Thanks, Dan.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for uh, hosting this. And I'm looking forward to, to meeting you in person.
0: Yeah. And <laughs> uh, thanks, Martin, for coming on the show again. Yay. Pleasure. <laughs> and thanks, Garana, as always. Always a pleasure. See you soon. This episode was brought to you by Linear B. Their Worker B for pull requests, Chrome extension, gives your team context about your PRs and estimated time to review. Get it free at linearb.io realpython. I again, want to thank Robert Craigie, Dan Bader, Gerona Yella, and Martin Broyce for coming on the show this week. And I want to thank you for listening to The Real Python Podcast. Make sure that you click that follow button in your podcast player. And if you see a subscribe button somewhere, Remember that the Real Python podcast is free. If you like the show, please leave us a review. You can find show notes with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player or at realpython.com slash podcast. And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Bailey, and I look forward to talking to you soon.